Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? So first of all, happy Galentine's Day, which is today, Sunday the 13th of February. And it's a day that celebrates the wonderful friendships between women and friends over, I guess, Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow. And that celebrates romantic love. And because of the timing, it made me think about how romantic love is largely defined and celebrated in mainstream culture as monogamous love. A few months ago, I saw something really thought-provoking about monogamy culture, and it's a series of tweets by Dr. Jen M. Jackson. I'm going to read them out because there's a lot to discuss here. So they say, I really want more people to understand that monogamy culture, abolition, and liberation are all inextricably linked together. We can't sit here trying to imagine real and sustainable freedom for all people while silently buying into unfreedoms in our romantic and platonic lives. The obsession with monogamy as a lifestyle conditions us into scarcity from childhood. The cycle of searching for the one and our other half while failing to search for ourselves first. Just think about how much time we spend looking to monogamous relationships and imaginary future spouses to validate and legitimize us. Meanwhile, there are literally millions of people to build futures with and versions of ourselves left to encounter. There are people who don't even have friends because monogamy culture teaches us that your romantic partner is meant to be everything. That's awful. I'm not saying monogamy itself is bad, but the culture surrounding it is toxic. To be clear, gay, lesbian and queer monogamous people are culpable too. I don't really spend time with straights, so I'm talking about the partner hunting and isolation of singles in queer communities that happens because monogamous people act like everyone wants their person. Monogamous people make single and polyamorous people into enemies of the state because we exist. Meanwhile, it's like, if monogamy is so fragile, maybe try something else? So that's the series of tweets which, like I said, there's a lot to discuss there. And that's everything I've been thinking about recently. That's a lot to be thinking about. That's super heavy, especially as Valentine's Day approaches. I think Valentine's Day is not so heavily marketed in Germany as it is in the United States. It's very unavoidable and really disgusting and icky, and the commercialization of love makes me feel very uncomfortable in that context. Actually, yesterday, I got recommended a YouTube video that was called Overanalyzing the Barbie Movies Using Queer Marxist Theory. It was 45 minutes long, and I watched it, obviously. The guy who does it is hilarious. When he says he's overanalyzing the Barbie movies, he's overanalyzing the Barbie movies. One of the points he makes in the videos that pertains to this particular topic is he mentions that there are not a lot of movies or TV shows aimed at young girls that 
center around friendship and female relationships that all of these movies that you consume as children usually put hetero relationships as the main storyline and at the forefront. I mean, think of all of us who consumed Disney movies as a kid that pushed this fantasy of the one in quotation marks. Like, that's so ridiculous. His analysis of the Barbie movies was how they're queer-coded and Barbie and the female significant other are um, lesbians or at least bi or interested in other women. It's worth watching. We can link it. It's very hilarious, which seems weird to say, but he's very, very funny. But it did get me thinking about this idea of like, yeah, as a child, specifically as a woman, you don't really consume media that doesn't highly focus on men. Like even from a young age, this narrative of finding partner for life and settling down with them and getting married is always pushed in every single cartoon, everything. You know, I remember as a child watching Bridget Jones and feeling like being Bridget Jones is would be the worst thing on earth. And now as an adult, I'm like, no, actually Bridget's doing great. She, you know, she has a close group of friends. She has a job, like a great job. She's got a great apartment. And I don't think that's the outcome from the movie or the books. I don't think that's what they want you to think. Want you to think that she's like sad and pathetic because she's quote unquote, you know, not thin and single. But actually, Bridget's living the life. She's freaking hilarious. So anyway, long story short, this narrative has been pushed on us for such a long time. And in my preparation for this episode, Googling toxic monogamy, I kept coming across articles that would mention one particular psychologist who had written an article, her name is Hilary Berry, I believe, and she wrote an article called Toxic Monogamy Culture, and it is no longer available, What is so incredibly frustrating, because if you come across so many articles that reference one thing, but in her article, she apparently defines toxic monogamy as being the normalization of jealousy as an indicator of love. The idea that a sufficiently intense love is enough to overcome any practical incompatibilities. The idea that you should meet your partner's every need and if you don't, you are either inadequate or they are too needy. The idea that a sufficiently intense love should cause you to cease to be attracted to anyone else. The idea that commitment is synonymous with exclusivity. The idea that marriage and children are the only valid teleological justification for being in a committed relationship. The idea that your insecurities are always your partner's responsibilities to tiptoe around and never your responsibility to work on. The idea that your value to your partner is directly proportionate to the amount of time and energy that they spend on you, and it is a zero-sum competition with everything else they value in life. The idea that being a value to your partner should always make up a large chunk of how you value yourself. And when I was reading this, I was like, yeah, the culture surrounding monogamy at least in European United States sort of culture, I can't speak for other cultures that I didn't grow up in, is so toxic. And this idea that you should meet one person and they're going to make you happy for the rest of your life, they're going to solve all of your problems, everything's going to go away and it's going to be fantastic and great. That's so unfair, not just to yourself, but to someone else, to put that much pressure on someone else and expectations. And it really is a myth that's shoved down all of our throats, particularly as women. We're so manipulated into this. Yeah, Bridget Jones. It's funny because, yeah, like you said, she starts off her journey with all these great things, but really her real aim to get a fulfilled life and to 
be a success and reach the dream is to meet Mr. Right or Bridget. It's interesting you're talking about women because actually the history of monogamy, if we think of it as two married people who agree only to have sex with each other, is very short when it comes to men and women because generally monogamy was actually just about women being faithful, wives. Men really didn't have any requirement to be faithful to their wives, whereas women were required to be faithful to their husband. This is according to the historian Eric Berkowitz, who is the author of Sex and Punishment, 400 Years of Judging Desire. So the first death penalty crime that he could find in human history is from ancient Mesopotamia, and that was to impale unfaithful wives on long poles in the middle of the village. That was a punishment for wives who had affairs. And when we think of the Mesopotamians and the Sumerians, I think about one-fifth of their law was to do with adultery from the side of women. And then if we go through to the Hebrews, they were a monogamous culture, and they added that men should be faithful to their wives. But then... It depends on your definition of monogamy because men could also have dozens of wives and he could also consort with prostitutes because prostitutes have always existed, which means that men have always been able to use that service, whereas women have not. And then in Greek and Roman society, it was also a focus for upper class women. And one of the first things that the first emperor wanted to clamp down on was women cheating on their husbands which was met with the response by many upper-class women trying to register themselves as prostitutes so that they could keep their boyfriends and so that they wouldn't be prosecuted by the law. In the Roman times, they still had slaves and prostitutes and things like that, so it was really just the upper-class women that were expected to be faithful. And this was also to do with possession and lineage. And, and yeah, and then when the Christians came in, of course, they had the same kind of rhetoric about women being faithful to men, although, of course, more pressure was put on the woman to be monogamous, and men were giving a thousand kind of excuses for it. There's that story from the Bible where the woman thinks her husband is dead and gets remarried, and then turns out he's not, and then she is sentenced to being stoned to death. And so the people are about to stone her to death, and Jesus stops them. And that's where the famous quote comes from, or, I mean, I guess a lot of the quotes from the Bible are famous, but he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Can't believe I just quoted the Bible in our, one of our podcasts. Who knew I had Bible quotes in me? But yeah, that's so funny that you're talking about the Bible and basically death being the penalty for women who, even by mistake or through a misunderstanding or whatever, have an affair. But we have such a big culture of violence against women and so many women are murdered by men because men are jealous. They think that she was having an affair, or she was having an affair, or the man doesn't want to have the marriage anymore and thinks that he owns the women and children and therefore just kills everyone in his family and moves on. And so many murders are committed because of toxic monogamy. It just goes to show the longevity of such stupid cultural ideas because you know we're expected also to be jealous like jealousy is not a good thing but it's sort of like tied to love if you love someone you're expected or it's understood that you're going to be a bit jealous or possessive of them 
it's generally sort of accepted, whereas things like other negative emotions are not really accepted so easily. You know, we say like, oh, it was a crime committed in heat and stuff like this because they were jealous. But this is all like the all these feelings are made by culture. So yeah, and that's toxic monogamy just results in the murder of many women every single year. And that's awful. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of these trends, particularly on platforms like TikTok or Instagram, where women will make TikToks about being like, when you're mad and he asks what you're mad about so you don't tell him and all these things. And it's like, just people can't read your mind. It's one of the things that my mom always says when one of us is upset or angry about something. The context might be a bit different here, but she's always like, you need to tell me what you're mad about. I cannot read your mind. I don't know. And I think that's another facet of this like toxic culture where it's like all these jokes about like getting your boyfriend boxers with your face on it so that should he, you know, be hooking up with another woman. And it's like, why would you be with someone if you inherently mistrust them so much, first of all? Second of all, just talk to someone like the fact that this is so wildly socially accepted, you know, that it's a trend on various different social media platforms is so mind baffling and it's so normalized and also this idea that if your significant other cheats on you you go after the other woman or the other man rather than your significant other who has done the cheating is also so incredibly toxic i feel like we're like sounding really down and bad on love and having a partner in life which are all great and wonderful things that should be celebrated obviously there's nothing wrong with wanting those things or participating in those things but just i don't know this like world of jealousy and possessiveness around it and expectations. I was thinking about things like polyamory and not being monogamous are very prevalent in a lot of cultures and in history, obviously. So I was curious exactly when monogamous culture has become a thing, or at least in terms of how we understand it. And I came across an article that quoted and evolutionary anthropologist Kid Opie from the University College London. And she says that modern monogamy culture has only been around for about a thousand years. She describes that the earliest primates, as early as 75 million years ago, were solitary and preferred to live in isolation, and that actually adults would only come together to mate with one another. But then as time passed and as primates as a whole became more social and evolved to live together in groups, It was only humans who became, in quotes, monogamous. Today, other primates, such as baboons and chimps, mate with multiple individuals within their group. But humans sort of shifted in one direction, whereas the other primates didn't. And she doesn't really have an explanation as to why humans did this. But one of the current theories suggests that it's down to the preservation of an individual's health and offspring, which is fascinating. That is fascinating. Obviously, things like polyamory and ethical non-monogamy and things like that are related to a conversation about toxic monogamy. That's not to say that all monogamy is toxic, right? It's just there are aspects of the culture that make it toxic. So monogamy can work as a perfectly fine model, just these ideas of somebody else completing you and being your all and being the reason you exist and fulfilling all your desires and reading your mind and being jealous or possessive of them or this idea that they can't do anything without you and stuff like that, that is toxic. But yeah, I also kind of 
got into this big sort of research into ethical non-monogamy. So ethical non-monogamy, the definition of that is, it's like a umbrella term for the practice of taking part in romantic relationships that are not completely exclusive between two people. And that's a different actually from cheating, because cheating is not ethical, because you're lying, your partner doesn't consent. So the term ethical implies a clear communication and agreement. And then within that, there is polyamory, which is big in Berlin. I know somebody who was dating a relationship counsellor in Berlin, and she said like 90% of her cases come from all polyamorous people who are just like in big messes, because relationships are hard anyway, and then I think you have relationships with so many people, it's going to be hard. And there is also no, I guess, in our society, in Western society, like in Berlin, for example, a lot of the people who are practicing it probably came from parents who were in monogamous relationships. So it's also hard to navigate your way through a new model. But yes, so polyamory is basically the practice of having multiple partners, both sexual and romantic. And this is built on consent of all parties. And then there's hierarchical polyamory, which is the practice of having multiple partners, but one primary partner takes priority over the others. So, for example, you can live together and have more emotional kind of exclusivity and commitment, but then you can also open up to secondary partners. And then you can have solo poly relationships, which is the practice of polyamory, but it's centered around personal agency. So this often means that the person won't really want to be enmeshed in domestically or financially sort of partnered relationship with one particular partner. So you're flying solo, basically. And then there's another thing called relationship anarchy, which is the practice of dismantling personal, social, hierarchical structures. So relationship anarchists challenge the idea that romantic or sexual partners are put above any other relationship types, such as friendships or families. I like that. And there are also kind of less or no rules about sort of receiving intimacy. And then there's an open relationship marriage, which is the practice of multiple sexual romantic partners outside the relationship. However, there's more limitation of emotional involvement. So like, for example, swinging or monogamish practices. And monogamish is a term that was popularized by the writer Dan Savage. And it's a term for couples who are mostly monogamous, but occasionally take part in outside sexual relationships. And I think that about covers it, but obviously there are so many models and ways of doing things as there are individual people. That sounds very overwhelming. A lot of facets to uncover there. It's very exhausting listening to you read that list. When you said monogamish, it reminded me, you know, there's that TV show Blackish. It's like it sounds like one of those TV shows, monogamish. Is that a new show idea? We're gonna we're gonna make this show now, monogamish. Me and Mudby. It's gonna be great. Definitely, we should write a show called Monogamish. I love it. It reminds me actually of another show on Netflix recently called Sex Life, which is very binge worthy, not so nuanced, 
gorgeous people in it, but was also about a woman who had the perfect marriage and the perfect house and, you know, kids and everything, but was somehow just felt trapped in her marriage and wanted sort of sex elsewhere. It's a very interesting portrayal of monogamous normativity and its restrictions on your sexuality and independence and stuff like that. So monogamous, let's go write it, Rena. It made me think of the book Modern Love, which is written by Aziz Ansari, along with a sociologist. And I believe I mentioned this book in our last year's episode that we did around Valentine's Day and Galentine's Day. But one of the interesting things that sort of stuck out to me about this book is he was looking at the age in which people get married and the medium age for my parents' generation or even the parents before that was people would get married in the early 20s, whereas for the current generation, people now get married in their early 30s. So there's sort of been this shift. And the reason in the book they explain for this is that people are now have moved on from marriages of convenience to marriage of love. And I find that fascinating along with this idea that, ah, yeah, we are now getting married for quote unquote love, but also the expansion of types of relationships that we have, like you mentioned, whether we're in polyamorous relationships or we're exploring ourselves has changed. I mean, I feel like almost everyone you meet in Berlin has a commitment phobia, so that's great and fun. What is wrong with all of the men in this city? And all of them need to go to therapy. Yeah, I've heard this a lot about dating in Berlin. But Berlin is a very special place. Now there's people who are, a lot of people, well, there are different types of people who move to Berlin, but there's the type, a lot of people in Berlin are this sort of self-discovery, I'm on my own journey type. But it kind of, what you just said, reminded me of Bumble campaign, which I think really taps into kind of good idea. Bumble does generally have good ideas, which is like, because I think a lot of women think about dating nowadays is kind of wasting their time and it's wasting their time because they're going towards an end goal and the end goal is marriage or finding the one or whatever and what Bumble's kind of saying is like hey you're on a journey and the journey is about discovering something new about yourself no matter what the date and I've always found that with dating like I think it's interesting as a process in itself so I think that's kind of a way a good way to look at things. That is hilarious to me because I find the idea of leaving my house and constantly having the same small talk conversation with someone thoroughly exhausting. I always think of the, there's a scene in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon says she just wants to forward 12 years into a relationship where you just lie on the couch, eat food all day, and no one tries any funny business. I'm not saying that that's what I agree with, but I always think that's such a funny line. She's just like, no, 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 I don't, I, what? I don't want to go out and be the best version of myself. I want to be a couch potato and just walk. That's interesting. Yeah, I think we need to rethink the way that we talk about dating, I guess, in that sense. And you're right. We, you know, we go, we do all of this with an end goal in mind, which is super fascinating as well. I actually never really thought about dating like that until just this very moment. So I'm having a moment here as we record this where I'm like, that's a fascinating thing. So yes, let me process that. Cool. While Reno processes that, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, don't put your 
life on hold or think that you're not capable of living a fulfilled or full life or that your life is not complete until you meet the one or your other half because all of that is a big myth. Thing two, don't pass judgment about other people's relationships and other people's relationship constellations. It's none of your business and as long as everyone is consenting and an adult, it doesn't concern you. And lastly, if you're looking to explore outside of monogamous relationships, try the new app called Field, F-E-E-L-D, which offers you a bigger variety of relationship constellations, as well as sexualities and gender identities. Have fun. Until next time. Goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.